News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Katie Honan here with Harry Siegel. Hey, Harry. Hello. Harry, I hope you had an easy fast and atoned for all of your sins. You might have missed that Eric Adams is a Freemason now. And make of Wait, that what? What, what? Make of that what you will. In the meantime, we're going to jump right in with Dan Gorodnik from the Department of City Planning to talk about City Hall's new City of Yes for Housing Opportunity Plan that will, quote, create a little more housing in every neighborhood, unquote. With that, let's welcome Dan Gorodnik now the chair of the New York City Planning Commission. Um, Dan, there's a lot going on here, and it's really not like similar plans from previous administrations in a lot of ways. So I was hoping you could just take our listeners who haven't absorbed all this through the uh, the broad contours of what you're doing, and then Katie and I will jump in with some comments and questions. Sure, happy to. Well, first of all, I think people are seeing to a greater degree the real human consequences uh, as a result of our housing scarcity in New York. And that includes everything from the obvious, like high rents. Uh, It continues to points of gentrification and homelessness. Uh, the, The significant imbalance in power between landlords and tenants in New York City. You know, if you are a renter and you are uh, faced with an exorbitant rent increase or you're seeking to get something repaired uh, or you want to be able to explore other options for your own family, you have so few options that it is, uh, you know, it, it means you have no leverage in this conversation. That is bad for you. We need to even this out. We need to make more options for you because we don't need to live this way. This is a policy choice, and the mayor has charged us to do something big here. So what is this proposal? So the proposal is, as you noted, Harry, to enable a little bit more housing in every neighborhood, uh, to, in the aggregate, create a lot of housing, but also to not have those sorts of dramatic changes in single places that people frequently fear. Um, We have proposals that would affect high density areas. Um, We have proposals that would affect low density areas. And we also have a proposal as it relates to parking. We believe that taken together, we would create about another 100,000 units over the next 15 years. uh, That would house another 250,000 New Yorkers, adding affordable housing, adding uh, modest apartment buildings near transit, adding modest apartment buildings on commercial corridors. Uh, we believe this is the right proposal for this moment in time. You want to dig in just a little to the uh, component parts of the proposal. Um, so saying like, like when Bloomberg was mayor, you know, um, he had some very ambitious plans that were often neighborhood by neighborhood, and that that would sort of be the focus of where this was at. And he talked about uh, property tax reform. Every mayor talks about property tax reform. And that, that's one thing we might touch on that to me was was the one interesting omission. But this seems like there's raising the envelope with some conditions citywide, where if you're building affordable units, 
things can get bigger. That was fascinating to me. The idea of bringing back something like SROs uh, was was fascinating to me. There, there's a lot of components here. Uh, there's a terrific piece up at the city by Rachel Holiday Smith and Katie Honan getting into some of the mechanics about the seven ideas here and how it gets built. People can read, but if you'd like to uh, go through a bit of that, just to uh, people haven't read through it, uh, know the scope of what we're talking about. And then uh, Katie will jump in. Sure. I would love to. Um, so let's start with the high density areas, for example. And for those who are you know less versed perhaps in zoning language, high density is your big apartment building areas, your midtown Manhattan, Long Island City, downtown Brooklyn, et cetera. Um, in those areas, we are going to create what we call a universal affordability preference. So today we have a, uh, a bonus that we give for the creation of senior affordable housing. And this exists in some medium and high density areas of New York City. If you want to uh, build a little bit more, we'll allow you to build a little bit more, about 20% more, if you deliver permanent affordable housing for seniors. That's great. That's a great program. It exists. We want to expand that to all types of affordable and supportive housing. We also want to expand the geography of that to all medium and high density areas in the city, which were not previously included, to enable that density bonus for all types of affordable housing. Uh, we also want to enable office conversions. This has been something which is talked about uh, for, uh, you know, about a year, year and a half or more. As we come out of the pandemic, people are living and working differently. We have roughly 19% vacancy in our commercial office spaces. This is a good moment for us to make this part of our housing proposal to make the rules a little bit more uh, permissive as it relates to changing an office building to residential today. Uh, it's very limited. You have to have been built before 1961 and roughly in Midtown Manhattan. For all intents and purposes, there are exceptions here, but roughly 1961 Midtown, you're good. Anything else, you're pretty <laughs> much shut out. Uh, we think that rule should be 1990. It should be citywide. We think that will enable tens of thousands uh, of additional units here, about 20,000 20, units uh, of housing over another uh, 10 years. Um, smaller units, your point, Harry, about uh, you know shared housing, smaller units. Our zoning resolution today, and, and, and by the way, this proposal is entirely done through zoning. So anything else which could be uh, a bonus or ancillary or additional, whether it's taxes or tax policy or state initiatives, et cetera, that's beyond what we have the ability to control in zoning. So what you see here is the four corners of what New York City is able to do in zoning. We are able to allow for smaller units. Uh, we are able to change zoning to enable uh, 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 shared housing opportunities. Our zoning resolution today defines very specifically the number of small units you can have in a building. It's called the dwelling unit factor. It's a mathematical equation. You throw it into a chart and it spits out the number of studio apartments that you can have in a building. Outdated thinking just should not be anymore. We have lots of rules which deal with life, health, and safety, the building code, the fire code, the health code. That tells you exactly what you can do in a specific building. Zoning should no longer be in the way. And then lastly, as it relates to high density areas, campuses. So we have campus um, uh, facilities around the city, whether it's uh, Mitchell Lama or NYCHA or a church with a big parking lot, uh, where our rules today have simply gotten in the way of enabling development, housing creation 
even in places where there are development rights. Um, also, low density areas. So if I should I keep going? All right, I'm going to keep going well, keep into low go, density. Keep going. Okay, all right, you got it. He's so on the a low, <laughs> The low density areas. So again, this is your mo more modest areas of housing. We have a lot of them in the city. But low density areas, and I think this is an important point. I think a lot of New Yorkers, when they close their eyes and they think about low density areas, they think about a single family home and picket fences on a single street. That does not fairly define the totality of our low density areas in New York City. They are very complex. They have lots of variety in them and they are all over New York City. So what are we gonna do there? So in our lower density areas, we are going uh, to enable a more modest multifamily apartment buildings near transit. Uh, we want to lean into our advantages as New York City in places where we have great access to transit uh, on sites that qualify, meaning if you're on a wide street, you're on the short end of a block, you have a minimum lot size, and you're near transit, we want to give you the ability to build a modest three to five story uh, apartment building there. We also want to do this in what we call our town centers. So when you move around New York City, you see a lot of single story commercial spaces, a laundromat next to a subway sandwich shop next to, uh, you know, whatever. They're all over the place. Uh, and you can't add the three to five story apartment building, these very modest missing middle apartment buildings on that site. Why can't you do it? Well, because our zoning rules have over time gotten in the way. You have parking requirements per unit, which functionally make it impossible to do that. Rear yard requirements, lot line requirements, all sorts of mechanics, which make it impossible. And these building forms exist in low density areas today. So it's a really important point. We have them. There are, you know, 14,693 buildings of three or more units in our one and two family districts today, they exist. Uh, we want to enable these on the margins of those lower density areas, uh, the transit-oriented development and the town center zoning. Uh, we also want to give relief to homeowners. Uh, we have a lot of homeowners today who are struggling for a couple of reasons. One, they're out of compliance with zoning. Like zoning has moved on, their, their building was or their home was built before 1961, zoning has moved on. Now their building is out of whack. It's out of compliance with the rules. So if you look to get insurance or you look to make any physical changes, you run headfirst into uh, a buzzsaw of problems for you as a homeowner. Um, and that's because we have not enabled anything to happen in those districts for so long. So we want to take small steps to legalize uh, those sorts of non-compliance headaches for homeowners, and also give them the ability to add a small amount of square footage on their own lot for an accessory unit, cottage, garage space converted into housing, et cetera. Whether you want to move in uh, you know, an elderly uh, relative or you want to rent the space um, to somebody so you can generate some dollars to pay your mortgage or uh, to help pay for your kids' college education someday, or even, even to uh, build wealth for yourself over time. It's a good thing for middle-class homeowners in New York City. We, we have this happening all over the country. New York City homeowners should be able to take advantage of this. It is working well really everywhere that it has been in place. We think is a good change 
And then the last thing I would note is we see a lot of underperformance um, of our existing zoning. So you are enabled to build a two-family home in some places, but our zoning simply prohibits it through, through other limitations. Multifamily, simply prohibited through other uh, rules. So the zoning giveth and the zoning taketh mm -hmm. away. It says you can do it, but then you can't do it at the same time. That no longer is working. It's stopping housing production. And then the last thing, and then I'll stop here, is uh, related to parking. Um, an important part of this proposal is the recognition that in too many cases, uh, parking is competing with our ability to create housing. What do I mean by that? Um, so in the zoning resolution of 1961, and that continues to exist today, we define within an inch of its life, the amount of parking that you need to deliver in every single zone and every single development in New York City. As if, you know, there is a magical known answer to that question as to exactly how much parking you need in every development. There is no known answer to that question. We also have seen uh, that in some of our districts, you know, the parking is inhibiting housing production. So you think of a basic uh, zoning district in New York, an R6 district. You know, if you get to your 10th unit of housing, you're good. You don't need to put in parking. When you get to unit 11, you have a 50% requirement for parking spaces. So if you go to 11 units, you got to put in six spaces. And frequently people uh, who are putting in that building they're like, wait a minute, there's a subway right down the street. Well, you know, the cost of putting in this parking is exorbitant. I'm stopping at 10. It's irrational for me to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars here to add in the parking. I'm just going to stop at 10. So the proposal here is to eliminate that mandate, the mandate that you have a specific number of parking spaces connected to every single development in New York City. We believe that the market can tell us what the minimum should be. Uh, we're not creating maximums here. We are just saying, let us stop pretending that we know what the minimum number is. There is a minimum number, but that will be known to us neighborhood by neighborhood, building by building. And it's going to be very different in different parts of the neighborhood. So with that, I'm going to stop there and uh, we can go deeper in any of these things that you guys want to talk about. Where my wife is in Southern California, they're bringing a few other places here <clears throat> in Orange County. I've seen how ADUs, as they call them, accessory dwelling units, have <clears throat> transformed what had become a very excessively expensive area. Think of it as like a, the Long Island analog of the uh, West Coast, where it's hard for families to stay there, that sort of thing. The prices have just gone up and up. And suddenly, there's a little more space. But like at the end of every driveway, you're just seeing like another little cottage or whatever, and somebody is renting that. And you could see the difference. And obviously, there are neighborhoods in New York, like uh, Dipness Park, formerly Flatbush, uh, where <laughs> my mother lives, where there's driveways um, and backyards, and there's space for these things to go up. In Windsor Terrace, there are these weird garages that are spaced through. They're in the middle of blocks. There's this sliver thing, so they're not really worth developing under the present zoning rules. Um, but if I squint at this plan, what I'm seeing is which is very interesting from a democratic administration in some ways, this idea that the rules that have been put in place to protect uh, neighborhoods and areas in the city um, have stopped serving what had been their useful and appropriate functions. And the idea here, as I see it, is to allow for a broader umbrella in which things can more or less get done if this succeeds 
by uh, uh, by, by 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 default, where the rules seem a little less complicated and over entangled and over involved in ways that maybe hadn't been working out uh, over time for, for for people and for developing as much housing as we need. But I do know that this plan has to go through. Speaking of these obstacles, its own environmental review process, which is an interesting and sort of misleading names. It's not uh, the environment and like the climate change sense exactly. It's like, what are all the things this will alter about an area? Like, are the shadows going to be different? Uh, do you need more plumbing uh, uh, because this building is so large? All that. And I also know that, as you know better than me, this has often been one more mechanism that the people who have been opposed to a plan have used to try and stop it. That this environmental review, and they're expensive and they take a long time with something this big, wasn't perfectly done. Um, we're going to go to court about this. And this is sometimes slowed and delayed things. So I, I'm not sure what you're expecting in terms of uh, political resistance, community resistance. I know there's the first informational session Wednesday when a lot of people will be listening to this podcast. Uh, but I was hoping you, you could step back a bit to sort of talk philosophically about what this plan is about and what the obstacles to its implementation might be. So you are correct to say that these rules were designed to protect. In fact, they have become so overprotective and exclusionary uh, that they simply have shut down the creation of housing in many parts of the city. Um, and that is something that we need to change. And again, to change respectfully and with finesse here. We are trying to do this in a way that is not going to prompt radical change in any neighborhood. We want this to be modest, incremental growth across a wide variety of areas um, so as to allow us to better meet our goals. <laughs> Interestingly, you know, last year, there were not, you know, we have 59 community boards in New York City. Nine of them created the same amount of housing as the other 50 together. So we have a uh, a system here which is now out of whack. But to your point about environmental review and about political challenges and resistance, so yes, our environmental review process uh, starts now. Uh, we are putting out our, this is uh, day one of the environmental review process. We put out a notice saying that we're going to have a hearing about the scope of the environmental review. Uh, so that will happen at the end of October. We put out the notice now the hearing happens at the end of October, and then we're underway to study, as you pointed out, Harry, the various uh, potential impacts of what we are proposing to do. Uh, it allows us to think as a city about how to respond to those impacts, where to make infrastructure investments, where to uh, uh, to put uh, dollars to be able to make real improvements here. Um, and that is a good way for us to think about uh, our capital uh, allocations, by the way. Um, as it relates to uh, you know, potential for people saying, oh, well, something wasn't done properly. We're going to do this properly. We are going to dot every I, cross every T in this process. Um, we are understanding that there will be people who will fear change and, and be concerned about any of this. Um, but we're going to be very careful in our environmental review process. It doesn't mean to say that, like, you know, it's free from uh, risk at the end of the day. You know, people can, you know, file a lawsuit when they want to file a lawsuit. Um, the, the question about um, political resistance. Um, what we are trying to shape here is um, a, uh, a, a proposal that we believe can be embraced by the folks who ultimately have to vote on it. And that's the city council. Um, they have been very clear. The speaker has been very clear in her state of the city speech 
that this is an important priority for her. Individual council members are making this point. Why are they making this point? Because they are hearing from their constituents about the costs that they're facing in their own lives. You know, 50% of New Yorkers are rent burdened today. So they pay more than 30% of their income on rent. And in some neighborhoods, that's even higher. You know, we have a vacancy rate for the, the least expensive apartments, you know, $1,500. It's functionally zero. Uh, and, you know, over the last decade before COVID, we created 800,000 jobs in New York City and 200,000 homes. So we are we're seeing the human impact of that, and council members are seeing that, and they're hearing it in their offices. So the reason I believe that this is the right moment for us and why we have a political path is because there is a general recognition about the crisis that we are facing, and also that we want to look to the future of New York City and devise rules that enable responsible growth citywide this shouldn't be just a couple of neighborhoods doing the thing and everybody sits back and watches. This is a citywide approach. It is fair. It is responsible. And we believe that by doing it that way, uh, in addition to all the other things that we do, like individual applications for change, plus neighborhood-wide plans, uh, we will be able uh, to significantly move the ball here. And we think that there's an appetite to do this now. I know you as the, you know, your zoning, that's your purview. But there is some skepticism, I, I think, from people um, twofold, right? The idea that, you know, you can't really build your way full, you can't fully build your way out of an affordability crisis, an affordable housing crisis, when there should be improvements made to apartments, which have its own challenges. But I guess the second part of that question is, and again, this isn't necessarily in your agency, but we have a 15% budget cut across the agencies. Um, agencies like HPD, which is a lot of affordable housing, um, serious staffing issues and those concerns. So I've seen skepticism from people, you know, not a personal attack on the people putting these fo these plans forward, but just concerns over how the city can actually meet its own dreams and goals and its moonshot number with the, the present challenges. We have budget challenges. Um, even, you know, from the private end of building, there are, you know, financial challenges, the cost of building is much higher. Um, so I guess, what is your answer to those skeptics? Maybe I'm one of them, maybe Harry's one of them. I don't want to just make it about me, but of, you know, the city makes these goals. You have these big announcements. The mayor says all this stuff, but there are actual day-to-day -day challenges within the agencies, not enough staff, um, maybe even not enough demand to build on the private end of these, these houses. So I just want to address that. Um, yeah, that's, listen, I think it's, I think it's a, a good question for us to be talking about here, because for one, um, obviously the city is in a tough moment for a variety of reasons. Um, the mayor is managing, you know, a couple of crises at once, and he is trying to get us through, um, and uh, without a ton of help. Uh, these sorts of proposals are for the next, for today, and the next generation of New Yorkers. Like we look at zoning and we think of this as, hey, we looked back to 1961. We should be talking about this one in 2083, right? There are going to be more crises and challenges in New York after we're through with the ones that we are in today. There will be tax policies. There will be interest rate changes that will come and go in every direction throughout the course of what we are proposing here. Uh, 
to me, the reason why you put out a proposal like this, which, by the way, the Department of City Planning feels fully equipped to handle and put out responsibly here through the resources that we have at our disposal. Um, the reason you do it this way is because when you set clear goals and priorities, when you define specifically the incentives you want to offer through zoning uh, to create affordable housing or to put more modest apartment buildings on commercial strips or near transit or to enable office conversions, et cetera, et cetera, you are saying out there to the marketplace, look, here are the rules. We're clear. We're setting it out. Now you, these are really an invitation to private interests to go and do the things that we want them to do, which is create housing, create affordable housing, create housing that is missing middle housing and modest costs and uh, accessible to people of all incomes throughout the city. Go, go do it. We, we want you to go do it when the market conditions allow for that, when the tax conditions allow for that. That's what we can do through zoning. Very interesting. This is not a residential example, but if you look at the, the East Midtown rezoning, this was really a guide for me, which is for us to say, look, the city knows what it wants to get here. We want more commercial office space. When we were looking at this back in 2017, we said, listen, we've got 50-year-old buildings. Zoning doesn't work. Let us change the rules to enable something to happen here and let us define exactly what you need to deliver to the public in exchange. And then let us step back and let's see what happens. And it really has been incredible success. Once you define those rules clearly and you enable those uh, property owners, property owners or other interests out there to, to, uh, to take advantage of the rules that you're setting out, it works. The rules have to be right, though. And they need to be generational type rule changes. And that's what we're trying to do. One note, and, and you could um, maybe give some technical uh, insight into this. February 2020, if you could bring yourself back to that mentally, former Mayor Bill de Blasio in his state of the city talked about accessory dwelling units as one part of his plan. Obviously, you know, COVID kind of derailed a lot of that. But in his plan, it was, you know, your granny flats and then basements. I noticed that in this plan, um, there was no mention of basements. And as we know, a lot of affordable housing is in basement apartments, getting those up to code, legalizing them. Then you have, you can think back to Hurricane Ida and the remnants of it and what we saw there. So if you just want to talk briefly about whether DCP is looking at basements, I know there was like a basement legalization plan that has sort of been shelved. Yes. Um, just talk about that, because I know that so much of the affordable housing is, is there and it's not always yes. safe. Or so legal. first of all, I would like to note that the Department of City Planning just last week put out a uh, report which is intended to be a guide to partner agencies and the public about where in the city you are risk to you're at risk of stormwater yep. flooding and coastal flooding mm -hmm. so that if you happen to be an occupant of a basement uh, unit you know what the risk is to you it's an important study that has been going on for a couple of years it is now out there and it is done um yeah the reason we do not have anything in our zoning proposal to legalize existing basement units is because that is outside the realm of zoning. Mm 
Uh, and that is something that we would need the yeah. state of New York to assist with. Mm. Um, there are lots of rules and regulations, as you know, that relate to legalizing uh, these sorts of structures. Um, and that is a conversation that we hope to have with the state. And I, I, by the way, I would note for all of this that I'm talking about that is within the power of New York City, it can be significantly enhanced with state policy changes here. So, you know, whether that is a new tax uh, incentive program as a replacement to 421A or to deal with the, you know, that 12 cap on FAR, uh, or even to talk about, you know, ways to safely legalize uh, existing uh, units that are that are present. The, a lot of those things are, um, are are really important and would help to further this plan along. And we are uh, you can be sure are going to talk to our um, uh, allies at the state uh, about how to do that in this coming session. But we want to do the things that are within our power to do and also are for the next 60 years. Those are things that we should be working on right now. And that's and that's what the mayor is after. And that's what he charged us to do. Is that kind of outreach part of this legislative, I guess, lobbying of lawmakers? Or I don't know. I know you did outreach to council members and other people before this plan. I don't know how much uh, DCP involved the senators and the assembly members in that as well. Yeah. Just well, as a former lawmaker yourself. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> so you can't just say this is outside of zoning. Like, like what needs to happen here? Because, uh, you know, Albany just 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 went away without getting anything done uh, on some of the things you mentioned, like the 421A replacement. And uh, they do have some significant role. Like uh, what, what would help maybe yeah, break well, that deadline? It's a it's a really fair and fun point to note that I am a former legislator, and I will note that as it relates to the people voting on this proposal, which fifty one members, we have been working very closely with the council speaker and individual council members to help them understand what it is that we're after, to prepare them for the details of this proposal, to help them understand the timetable that we're after. This is, you know, as you noted, starting environmental review won't be on their desk for approval, uh, you know, till next fall through the, you know, our process, which is quite lengthy. Uh, so we are working very, very closely with them. And I do not, I will not understate the importance of those elected officials to get this thing done. We really need them to embrace this. As it relates to the state, we also have been keeping uh, key partners in the state briefed on uh, on this proposal. I will note uh, that the both the Senate and Assembly uh, housing chairs were present for the mayor's uh, speech last week. Uh, we um, are in in touch with um, uh, you know a variety of other state legislative uh, officials too, um, and it's really to help them understand what this is after, and also how much better it could be with state action. So we while we don't need their their specific vote on this proposal, we do think it's important to note that uh, this this plan could be turbocharged with state support. One question I did want to ask you, I know this is one of your ex areas of expertise, Stytown. Um, I'm not a housing expert. I don't, you know, so if someone on Twitter, don't come for me on this. But, you know, I, you mentioned earlier, oh, building high density areas, Long Island City or, or Midtown, places that are expensive. When I grew up, Stytown was middle class housing. And now it's incredibly expensive. These are not, these are factors that DCP, is, you're not in charge of this, the market rate and all this. I know that, you know, the historical fight there, but I guess... Can we as a city ever see these sort of true 
affordable, large-scale complexes? And what does it mean, I guess, for the future of, of the city that you no longer have these, what have been these bastions for middle-class housing that, that don't seem to exist anymore? Um, I just wanted to get your take because the, it, you see in a lot of places. Yeah, I think it's I, it's a it's a really interesting point, and I and one of the you know, Stytown is a really interesting example, and obviously near and dear to my heart. Yeah, um, wrote the book on it. I wrote a I wrote a book on it. Um, it because what animated and allowed for Stuyvesant Town to exist was in many ways an outdated thinking about planning. Yeah. Uh, and even though we hold it out as like, wow, we would love to have more sort of middle class housing or more income restricted housing, although Stuyvesant Town in its history was not income restricted housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also cleared out a lot of people yeah. to be built. Um, you know, there were some 11,000 families that lived between 14th and 23rd Street, east of First Avenue, when MetLife and Robert Moses came by and said, you know what, we have better plans for this area. And then, uh, you know, put their, displaced them, did not provide them alternatives, and then put up these 110 buildings and made them available for whites only. So like there's, a, you know, so I, I, it's, a, it's complicated because that is not the, that's not the model, but your point is the is is a is a really good one, which is how do you do big and bold things while also not falling into the traps of history? And I think the answer here is um, th- there is a way for us to thoughtfully enable things to happen um, and to invest in one hundred percent affordable um, developments throughout the city, which we are continuing to do, uh, finding those opportunities to uh, to do some campus infill where appropriate. And of course, you know, state of New York incentives, which really did enable the Stuyvesant Town program to move forward, um, is something really important for us to, uh, to, to do big and bold things. Uh, and so, you know, it, you know, we are we we view a proposal like this as a responsible way to answer that question, allow for a, a, not just target a specific neighborhood and do urban renewal, quote, quote unquote, slum clearance like they did in Stuyvesant Town, but actually enable modest growth throughout the city, respect neighborhoods, but also deliver on where we want to be in the next 60 years. Mr. Negroni. Thank you for taking the time. We've got a a two-part quick kicker for you. So part one is, uh, what is the uh, map behind you? And what is this poster skyline on the other side? And part two, feel free to uh, merge them together, is, um, again, for for people who are just cottoning onto this, who've been dealing with other things in their lives, like, what is the the full scale of this plan compared to where New York has been? What's at stake here, and why is this um, important as an investment in our future? Great. So, first of all, I th- I, I appreciate the question. So, this this map, uh, one map behind me, is a map of the neighborhoods of New York City, um, which is something that is put out by uh, the Department of City Planning, uh, it, you know, regularly, and has some key dem- demographic and. Um, 
other geographic facts about the city. Uh, I happen to love love this map. I noticed you didn't point out the uh, the bottle of Advil, which sits right below it for <laughs> uh, headaches that uh, that ensue periodically. Um, then this one is is um, uh, was created by our urban design division uh, at the Department of City Planning, uh, which is um, you know uh, just a, a a cute depiction of uh, of an urban context, which is. Uh, reminiscent of New York City, but not precisely New York City, and uh, people are invited to find a little miniature uh, statue of uh, liberty in the in the mix, oh. uh, much like a, a Where's Waldo. Um, so, in, in answer to your question about the scale and what's at stake here, um, you know, we've never attempted in New York City to do something this big as it relates to housing supply in zoning. Um, so. To put this in in that context, our zoning resolution, modern zoning resolution has been around since 1961. We have never attempted to do something like this. So uh, it is it is a bold move. um, And obviously, when you do bold things, that means it will have lots of challenges uh, with it. But what is at stake here is, you know, is is the way that we live and work in New York City. It's nothing short of that because, you know, one of our strengths in New York City is the a, the ability for us to live and work uh, together, for us to uh, be an environmentally sound city where you 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 know you have the ability to a uh, transit system that works, local parks, local town centers that work for you, um, and to prioritize the things that matter as it relate to our 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 ability to to create housing. And as I noted before, like we don't need to live the way we are living now, where rents are so high, where it is everything is so complicated. We want to simplify that. And housing supply here and really taking aim at housing scarcity, which is really what's motivating the gentrification pressures, the rent pressures uh, throughout the city. Um, That's a moment where we really need to take action. And that's what we're trying to do and to do it now, but also to make it last. So we think this is an important moment in the city's history. Uh, The mayor has been very clear he wants us to be bold on housing. He laid it out very well last week, and we hope to be able through the course of this process, which starts now and moves into next year, to be able to deliver that for him and for the city. Perfect. I will note my joke is the ADUs are the first time. It literally is Yimby. We're literally trying to build in people's backyards. That is true. Anyway, on that note. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for for indulging that bad joke and for coming on and talking about this. I know there will be a lot more to look forward to as we try to build more housing in New York City. So thank you. Thanks for having me. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We also receive support from PT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side, with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. We're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, 
Find it all at popula.com and are affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host Chrissy Greer is one of the inaugural fellows. Our hosts this week were me, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. A special thank you to our guest, Daniel Gorodnik of the City Planning Commission, and to you, listener, for listening and making it this far. Our engineer, of course, is Adam Kamara. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more. What is the uh, what does it say on the top of that? We can't see it. On the top of of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, yeah. "Find the lady in green." So that is the oh. um, that's the Statue of Liberty <clears throat> talking about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, come visit me sometime. I'll show it to you in person. <laughs>